Welcome back to Out Loud, the Selective Mutism podcast, the only podcast dedicated to selective mutism. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Anne, Chelsea's mom. To learn more about selective mutism and our backgrounds, listen to our first episode. In our last episode, we talked about PCIT, and today's topic is medication. Uh, Before we get into the episode, I just want to ask you to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This is the best way you can leave us feedback and let more podcast listeners hear about selective mutism. You know, we belong to a couple of the different Facebook pages out there on selective mutism, and uh, I've picked up that it's a very controversial topic. Um, And I totally get it as a mom of a child who had selective mutism. You know, it reminds me of all the emotions and things that I went through. A lot of fears, a lot of feelings um, come up when you're trying to make that decision. Do I medicate my child? Um, You know, especially because they're, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years old. Um, It's an especially difficult decision. We thought we'd start off by just um, reviewing, I guess, Chelsea's path um, Mm -hmm. through selective mutism and our decision to medicate or not medicate. Right. So I think, so I was diagnosed at five years old and I started medication at six, I think Mm -hmm. we said. So I I don't think I was part of the decision-making process. You actually were. Was I? Did you ask me? Like, Um, well, we talked about it and I said that, you know, it wasn't going to make you talk or anything. It wasn't going to change you, but it would just make you feel more comfortable so that then you could do whatever you wanted to do. If you did want to talk, you'd feel more comfortable, so you could. Mm-hmm. And if you didn't want to, you didn't have to. I don't remember being against it as a child. Like, I don't remember refusing to take medication or anything. No, I um, never had a Coke shoe. You were very mm-hmm. willing. You want it to be um, like all the other children, is how you put it to me. Yeah, and I just felt constant anxiety. Um, so if there was something that was going to make it less than I was willing to do it. And I think we saw a pretty immediate difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right away, actually. I don't know if it was placebo effect or not. Mm-hmm. Um, they say it can take a couple of weeks um, for medication to kick in. But with you, it was just like flicking a light switch. You were so happy and um, immediately more outgoing. I felt more comfortable for sure. Yeah. So I think we went through, it took a little bit of time to find the right dose. Um mm-hmm. Sometimes being a little too silly at school. Yeah, so then we back down. <laughs> yeah, um, but nothing like, no bad side effects, like nothing scary. Um, no, just, you know, got trouble for being too chatty at school, which was, you know, a joy, yeah, a we celebration. Yeah, probably but... happy to hear that from teachers. Yeah, yeah but uh, we did back down a little bit because you were disrupting the class, I think your second grade <laughs> teacher said. That's crazy, yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think over the years, like, I went off and on it, um, like, especially over the summer, I think I felt like I didn't need it because without school, there wasn't that high-stress environment, so we would often go off it and then go back on at the beginning of the school year or, like, two weeks before the school year started, so I would be ready for that um, transition. And I think looking back, I've definitely had, like, mixed feelings about being on medication as a young kid. Like, I was, I felt like, oh, maybe I didn't have a choice. Like, maybe I could have done it without medication. And that was, like, me not being strong enough and having to, like, 
get help, which can be hard to ask for. But well, I think, I think yeah. I've under I I've come to understand that I think there's an imbalance. Like it's the chemicals in your brain. You're not producing enough to um feel comfortable. Like your brain thinks you are under attack when you really aren't, and that is impairing your ability to function in everyday life. Fight or flight, right? Yes. So and you can't control that. Right. And I think um, that's just medication makes it easier for you to be able to talk. It's not going to make it, it's not like a talking pill that magically makes you to start talking, uh, but it does make it easier. Right. And I think a lot of it is how you do present it to the child, because mm-hmm. that can be scary too, to say, you're going to take this pill and it's going to make you talk. And that's not <laughs> actually true, no. but it depends how you present it to the child, I think too. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to say um, a quote from Jonathan Kohlmeyer. He ha- he wrote a book about selective mutism. Um, I actually met him through Stephen Kurtz at Brave Buddies. But he has a quote about medication that I thought would be helpful to share. So he said, Imagine a six-foot-high wall that you very much wanted to climb over, but it was simply physically impossible. What if someone could lower that wall to about four feet where it would still take lots of effort? but at least it is now physically possible. That's what medication did for me. It lowered the walls so with effort I could at least get over it. And that was from Jonathan? Yep, Jonathan Kohlmeyer. It's called Learning to Play the Game, My Journey Through Silence by Jonathan Kohlmeyer. So Jonathan might be joining us on the podcast in a future episode. So if you want to go read the book, that would be great because you'll know what we're talking about. Yeah, that's a good idea, putting that out there now so people can kind of be prepared for yeah. the podcast. Yeah, he he does bring a great perspective. I feel like we had a lot of similarities, um, but he does bring, I would like to say, the boy's perspective. What else? Do you want to add anything else about being a child? Like any memories that you have or whatever of being on medication? Not really. I mean, it wasn't something that was always on my mind. I just, as soon as I saw a difference, I started being able to enjoy my life, I guess, Um, which sounds pretty dramatic, but not to say it wasn't still hard. Like, I was still challenging myself and everything was still hard, but it was manageable anxiety as opposed to, like, being frozen. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time that you actually started to speak at school. Yep. In front of children and your teacher. And I think we mentioned in a prior episode, uh, grade one was when, I mean, unimaginable. Chelsea went up at mass at the end of the year and did a reading, which, I mean, I I remember being so emotional because I could have never imagined that she would have been able to do that, Mm -hmm. especially in grade one. Yes. There's no way. And Um, that in part was from the help of a teacher. Right. who is willing to work on my goals right. and take extra time with me. And I think it's important to say that it's not solely, you know, medication is no magic pill. It's no. not It's not a golden ticket. Um, it's still a lot of work. You still have to do the sticker chart. It's every day, mm-hmm. every day um, working at it, but the meds just make it a little bit easier, yep. manageable. A lot of kids actually who try treatment, we'll get into this later, but they don't, if they're not seeing progress... Um, that's when they start considering medication and it's with the medication and therapy that they can make progress. Right. And I think, you know, studies show that having CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy um, alone 
is successful, but um, not as successful as CBT with a medication Mm -hmm. and vice versa. Having a medication without any therapy is, you know, somewhat successful, Mm -hmm. but again, not as successful as having um, CBT with a Yeah, I just wanted to share my story. I feel like there's still a lot of stigma around medication, and I think it's important to say that um, I have felt that stigma at times, but I also think I wouldn't be where I am today without it. Yeah, I mean, I think society in itself has changed a lot, too, in that regard, Mm -hmm. Um, just during your lifetime. It's part of the reason I had such a hard time making that decision um, you know, whether I want to admit it or not, the stigma or being judged by others or judged by people in my family or people I work with or, um, I mean, I never wanted to say I had a six-year-old on medication for anxiety. But, you know, you have to weigh, I guess I had to weigh that versus having you go on through your childhood Mm -hmm. how you were. Right, and who knows, like, the psychological damage that could have come out of me like suffering for years years you don't know you don't know you know none of us know the future I would just guess it wouldn't uh, work out very well it's tough decisions Mm -hmm. but it's a very individual decision it's what's you know it's up to each family yep but you know you need to make um I guess informed decisions So I guess that's part of the reason for doing this uh, episode is to try to educate a little bit and so that you have more information to make that decision um, together with your provider for what's right for you and your child. If you are in therapy or your child's in therapy, um, just to point out, it's not the psychologist that would be writing a prescription if you did decide to do medication. Um, They do not write scripts, so they would either refer you to a provider that does write scripts, whether it be your pediatrician or a nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist, but they'll make the referral for you to speak to somebody who can prescribe. So typically in selected mutism, um, the drug group of choice would be an SSRI, which is a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Which is what I took. Right, that's what you were on. Actually, you were you started out in first grade on Paxil, which now is not really used. Of mm-hmm. course, the new kid on the block is Prozac. It's funny though; it was a perfect fit for me. It worked for you. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people went straight to Prozac because it had less side effects or something. But I well, think... Prozac came out later, so oh. when you were actually doing this, Prozac wasn't an option. Oh, yeah, it came out later. Okay, so I just happened to stay on. Paxil because we had no problems and right you were... I didn't know anyone else on Paxil because right. everyone else was on Prozac yeah you were older I mean you had no problems with it so then at a later date when you went back on meds I think during transition to college maybe um you know they just ask were you on anything before did it work for you and the answer was yes Paxil so let's stick with that SSRIs Uh, block the reabsorption or the reuptake of serotonin into the neurons in the brain, um, thereby increasing the level of serotonin in the brain, um, which results in decreased levels of anxiety. And the thought is that by lowering the anxiety, you can then participate in your therapy um, to help you meet your goals. 
I do want to point out that with SSRIs, there is one condition known as serotonin syndrome, and that's when the serotonin level is actually too high. Um, just to mention that that can happen, and it's due to taking other medications along with an SSRI. It can be, you know, really any medication, over-the-counter meds, uh, herbal meds, um, things that can interact with an SSRI. So it's really important to talk to your doctor about you know, the pros and cons if you are thinking of taking a medication. It's very rare. So there are four SSRIs that are FDA approved in the United States for pediatric patients. Um, and those four are Celexa, Prozac, Luvox, and Zoloft. If you are on an SSRI, the FDA um, does make recommendations for how often you should see your doctor. Um, in the beginning, it is every week for the first month, and then it goes to bi-weekly for the second month, and then I believe it is monthly. And of course, if you have any changes or whatever, um, those kind of go by the wayside, and you call your physician and um, discuss those. Yeah, I think it's good to be communicating with teachers and places you're not going to be observing your own child so that you know right. how they're reacting. A good time to start medication is when a child has lower stress. So on school vacation or something like that, it, that's recommended for starting a new medication. Yep, summer vacations are great or school breaks. And that way the child's home with the parents so you can really observe them to see any mm -hmm. changes or anything. And SSRIs um, are not addictive, um, but you never want to stop one abruptly. I guess like most medicines, you want to wean off slowly. So you really need to coordinate that with the doctor um, to, to have a schedule to wean off the medication. And make sure you're taking it every day because some of them you can see withdrawal symptoms pretty early on if you miss it. If you miss a couple of doses yeah. in a row, that's true. Um, the US FDA also recommends that the medications be started at the lowest dose possible and then be increased very gradually um, while you're being monitored by a physician. Um, and I just think it's so important, you know, to speak to the doctor um, or who's ever prescribing for you. Uh, you have to feel comfortable. So if they're increasing it and you're not quite comfortable, you know, just have that conversation because you need to, you know, it really has to be a trusting relationship and, um, you know, don't be afraid to speak up for your child and ask questions so that you're on the same page. Um, and I do want to point out that all SSRIs are not equal. Um, one dosage isn't equal to the dose of another medication. So the amount of milligrams of Zoloft might be different than the amount of milligrams of Prozac that are prescribed. They're not interchangeable. So speak with your physician and don't, you know, don't listen to friends or family mm -hmm. or, oh, so-and-so's on this, this much. And mm -hmm. that seems like a lot. I mean, it's different for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, you just want to get that therapeutic dose for your child. Um, it's also recommended that you be on medication for a full year to experience the full year of events. And I did take you off early. I know I've mentioned that before. I think I had you on for eight months. Um, and that was just my own, you know, I guess, insecurity or fears. Um, I wasn't totally comfortable with it at the time, but I know shortly after taking you off, I did regret taking you off. I should have kept you on for the full year. It was a full school year though, right? Um, it was like eight months. No, I, I think it was kind of half and half because I think okay. you start at mid-year. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember feeling regretful that I hadn't kept you on for the full year. Mm-hmm. And I always questioned myself whether because you needed to go back on later at a you know trans time of transition, if I had kept you on for the full year, would you maybe not have needed that? Um, I think it's just part of parenting. You know, you'd always question yourself. You're always wondering if you did the right thing. But in any event, they do recommend a full year. And that year doesn't start until you actually reach the therapeutic dose. Mm-hmm. Um, so not from when you started the medicine, but once you get up to a therapeutic dose where you're actually responding and able to do the therapy and reach your goals, a year from then. Mm-hmm. And like we said, when you're ready to wean off, you have to wean very slowly Um, under the direction of your physician. Don't just decide on your own to take your child off um, because you can actually cause harm. I actually don't remember ever going off medication. Like, I don't remember the weaning process or noticing any kind of change. And I think that's probably because I was on school breaks and there was less anxiety. But also, we did it in a way where I wasn't just quitting cold turkey and, like, that's not what you're supposed to do. We were doing it with our doctor so that I didn't even notice the difference. And you're right. We did always plan sort of ups and downs during breaks or weekends or summer breaks, things like that. Yeah. So if done correctly, it's not going to be a problem. Nope. We'll have Chelsea put the links um, in the notes or wherever you usually put them. I don't do any of the social media stuff, but um, we did look at the Child Mind Institute in New York's website we looked at selectivemutism.org website, and we looked at Kurt's psychology, and they all pretty much all had the same views on medication. Yeah, so they talk about like when you should start considering medication, and I think across the board they're saying if families are participating in like exposures or cognitive behavior therapy and they're not seeing progress or they're seeing ridiculously slow progress that they're not happy with, then you could start considering medications and incorporating that into your treatment plan. So obviously, as we said before, it's like a very personal decision that you should talk to your doctor and not everyone is going to react the same way. So it's important to figure out what's best for your child. And they all did kind of um, all agree, I guess, on an age. If your child is, some of them said as low as seven years of age and still has selective mutism, Some of them said uh, eight years old, and then I saw one that said nine years old and up. Mm -hmm. If your child has selective mutism, it might be time to consider adding the medication component in. Yeah, I just want to say that these kids that are reaching those ages who still have selective mutism, they may not be telling you about it, but I would assume that they are not happy, that they're struggling they're struggling socially, they're missing out on opportunities. And maybe academically, too, if you're seeing academics sort of slide. Yeah. So I think it's important to consider it at that age, especially if you're not, you haven't seen progress for that long. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not giving up. It's medication can allow you to have an effective therapy experience. Right. In addition to the age, uh, sort of cutoffs or recommendations, I guess, for age. They also say if the SM is very pervasive. Um, And then also kids that have other um, comorbid conditions, such as ADHD or depression or um, could be anything, really, any other diagnoses that it's going to be probably most likely be tougher to treat. And so you might want to add the medication 
um, mm-hmm. because it can cover anxiety and depression. And they have proof that through research that together with good cognitive behavior therapy and medication, when they're both done um, correctly, that you have much better outcomes than just doing either one of those alone. I did review some research articles also, mm-hmm. um, which was really tough to do because there's not a lot out there specifically on selective mutism. I mean, there's articles out there on anxiety, social phobias, um, school refusal, mm-hmm. but it was really tough to find good studies on selective mutism. I think that has to do with finding participants. Right. A big, a huge right component of that was not getting enough children right. for the studies. It is kind of rare, like selective mutism. Mm-hmm. Is a, I want to say like one in a hundred children, the stats vary, but mm-hmm. it's probably hard to find a good group of kids to do a study on. Yeah, one of the papers that I looked at was, um, let's see, it was published, uh, I think it was a study done at University of Toronto and Oslo University, and it was published in 2015, and it said that, um, kind of to give you a number, to throw a number out there, it said... Um, symptomatic improvement was found in 66 out of 79 children that were treated with an SSRI. So that's that's significant. Um, and that is with concurrent CBT or therapy. Um, because I know I did see some articles that when it was medication alone, um, it was debatable, especially with a placebo. And um, then with CBT, there was also you know, not as great numbers of success. Mm -hmm. But then this study was um, 66 out of 79 children with an SSRI with concurrent um, CBT. There was another study I did that was um, at a Purdue University. And they all pretty much say the same thing. It just said, you know, psychotherapy is the preferred initial treatment. So you don't just jump to medication, obviously. Um, You try the psychotherapy first. And then depending on how much progress your child is making um, or not making, then you might want to think about adding the medication. Um, It went into about how, you know, the data is really limited, as we just spoke about, because basically there's not big numbers of kids with selective mutism out there participating in studies. Um, So small patient populations is one um, obstacle to getting the good studies. And this paper was studying... Uh, the SSRI uh, Prozac um, says it is the most studied SSRI as treatment for selective mutism. So, and that does seem to be the most popular that I've heard about on the Facebook pages. Basically, although a lot of research has been done over the last 20 years on SSRIs, um, it's just that SM component that hasn't really been studied. So it's been studied in anxiety disorders, depression, um, like I mentioned, school refusal, but not so much in selective mutism. Yeah, so just again to point out, medication is not an alternative to therapy, but is part of the overall therapy program. And I think a common question people ask is like, is my child going to be on medication for their whole life? Mm-hmm. And I think at one point I had a doctor who told me I was, and that was really actually upsetting to hear like mm-hmm. it felt like I felt like I'm never going to be able to like do this by myself which have a normal life yeah and I think that's not necessarily true and what that person said wasn't true like I have been often on it I have done great things well off of it and mm-hmm. I've been comfortable off of it but in times of 
greater stress, I have gone back on medication, and I think that's totally valid, and you shouldn't feel ashamed about that. You know, it's being the best you that you can be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all go through rough times, and if you have a anxiety disorder, it makes everything a lot harder, so I don't think right. it's... It doesn't mean that you can't handle it. It just means you're making it a little bit easier on your brain to manage the stress. You have to weigh, I guess, the like anything, you have to weigh the risks versus the benefits. And it's a tough call, or maybe it's not actually, but it's an individual decision whether to do medication therapy and take the risk of side effects or not take a medication and risk the long-term effects of selective mutism. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to know what that would be, so we opted for medication. And actually, once we had, I wished I had done it sooner because you missed out on the early years of your childhood and just the skills, the social skills of learning naturally how to develop friendships and have conversations mm-hmm. and maintain friendships and those, um, that's important. Mm-hmm. And it's tough to catch up on that. It's, touch, it's very tough to catch up on social skills um, when you have anxiety. Yeah. You don't get the practice, like the real life practice. I think I learned a lot about social skills through observation because I was watching kids while I was being super silent all day. And that's probably why I'm a behavior analyst because I like watching people but (laughs) I also think I learned a lot through like books and movies which are not exactly Mm -hmm. real life and there are social skills classes out there I know I tried to get Chelsea into one uh, when she was little and um, there were a couple in the area but then every time I tried to get her in one it was like they couldn't get enough kids together and it would always be canceled so that you know didn't really work out Hmm. for us Yeah, but those skills, you can't get the time back. Mm -hmm. Yep. We did see some statistics online that uh, quoted 45% of parents or children are currently using medication as part of their treatment. This was in a Facebook group, so keep that in mind. Right. But there's a lot of, it's the biggest one on Facebook. About half report that they currently use medication. And again, I see in Facebook groups a lot of people comparing doses and their medications, and I think you need to be talking to your doctor. Your doctor is the only opinion, really, you should be caring about. Like, I wouldn't be... Every kid is different. You shouldn't be comparing doses. Your kid's going to respond differently to a dose than random people on Facebook. And I think a lot of people are so afraid of medications or medicating their child. You know, they look at the herbals, and of course now CBD oil is everywhere, So I see a lot about that on Facebook. Yeah, so just make sure you are using tested, like empirically valid medications and treatments for your child. You could actually be doing more harm than using um, prescription medication if you're using something that is not approved or safe, which a lot of these products we don't really know much about yet. So I think it's really important to do the pros and cons talk to your doctor. We'd like to give you our experiences and obviously you're making your own decisions about what you choose to do for you and your family. I know it's a really fearful subject Mm -hmm. uh, for parents and I totally get it. I've been there. Um, 
you know, I just, we want to do the best um, for our children. And uh, of course, nobody, you know, wants to harm their child. You only want to do what's safe for your child. Um, so talk to the professionals in your life that you're dealing with, uh, with therapy or whatever, and um, just make an informed decision. Mm-hmm. And really, that's all you can do. There's abs- there's no long-term side effects that we know of that come from SSRIs. So I would say if you wanted to try it for one year and see if it helps. Not I... even a year. I don't, you know, I think because that might scare people off. Yeah. I, and I do think some people don't realize it's just for a year. The recommended time is a year. Um, because I know when I started, I didn't know that. I thought I'm putting my child on. And I, you know, I didn't actually stop to think about how long they'd be on it for. I just, I actually kind of thought maybe assumed it was like a permanent thing. But you can always say, you know what, this isn't working. We're not going to do this anymore. Or this one's not working. Let's switch and try something different. But nothing's permanent. I guess that's what I'm saying. You can always change your mind. You, you do what you feel is right for mm-hmm. your, or you do what you feel is best for your child to be successful. I just want to end this episode today with saying again, when you're making this decision, just think about the potential side effects of an SSRI versus the potential side effects of living with selective mutism and make the best educated decision for you and your child. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you leave us a review if you enjoyed our episode. And um, we will see you in the next... Or no, we won't see you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Make sure you subscribe to hear our next episode.